welcome to episode 95 of the Talking Football Podcast. My name's Derek Clark, and every week we try and bring you a top-class interview with some of the most colourful and engaging characters involved in the game. And they don't come more engaging than this. This week I was fortunate enough to chat to Bradford City Royalty, the Bantam's record appearance holder, Cess Pod, to chat about his time in the game and also his life away from football. We hear about his upbringing and how difficult it was for him growing up as a black kid in Leeds, dealing with racist abuse as a youngster and as a player, his love of Bradford City and why he stayed for as long as he did, being talked as of retirement by Neil Warnock and being part of that famous Scarborough side that won promotion to the Football League, coaching at Leeds United, St Kitts and Nevis and St Lucia, where he now works as technical director of the FA, as well as his dancing school and much more in between. So sit back and enjoy the latest episodes of the Talking Football Podcast. everyone and welcome to another edition of the Talking Football Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to say we're joined on the line this week by a Bradford City legend, uh, Cess Pod. Cess, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, pleasure, Derek. Nice to speak to you. Love the accent, by the way. 30 yeah. since I've heard a, a Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, yeah. we're just we're just speaking off air there, and um, you're in sunnier climes at the moment. It's a bit uh, sunnier than sunnier than where I'm in St Lucia. What, what's what's it like over there just now? Yeah, I mean, weather's always hot, you know, so yeah. it's not weather's never a problem. The problem, obviously, is the COVID situation that we find ourselves in, same as everyone else. Um, so, I mean, my world here is as technical director for football, so you can imagine uh, we're not allowed to have more than ten people in any one gathering. So we've had to stop um, our leagues. Uh, we can't take part. Uh, it looks like we're going to have to forfeit, um, you know, international games and tournaments and things like that. So yeah. it's not good. Yeah, it's terrible stuff. Um, looking at the career then, Cess, I mean, fantastic uh, career in, in football. When, when you were born back in 1952 in uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, were, were you always kicking the ball around as a, as a young boy? Can you remember? Not really. I mean... As you know, in those days, cricket was the main sport in St. Kitts. Yeah. Um, so we, we were brought up on, on cricket, really, in the West Indies. That's the yeah. first taste I got of, of being able to follow a team, um, you know, and, and, and have pride in, in, in your country and in, in what a sport represented. So, no, it was cricket to start with. I'm never really very good at cricket, to be honest. My brother <laughs> and my dad were better at cricket than I was. Um, it was only when we moved to the UK that um, I found, you know, the, the game that I loved more than anything, uh, which which obviously was football. Yeah, you moved to the uh, was it Leeds at the age of nine? Is that is that right? You're right. Yeah, um, when when I was nine, we moved to Leeds. The family, uh, the whole family moved. My dad came first, and then we came second. Um, the six of us in the family, kids. <laughs> um, so I was third in the family, the first boy. Um, yeah, so we moved to an area called Chapel Town in Leeds where, uh, you know, most of the black communities from overseas moved to. Um, and then about a year after that, we moved to a, an area down in the, near Elland Road, um, where Leeds United play, obviously. Um, and that's really where I, I began to, to pick up on, you know, the love of the game, the love of football. I used to go with uh, one of the one of the adults from our church to watch Leeds United used to take all the kids, and I went with them, and that's how I fell in love with the game. Yeah, but 
it must have been quite a, a, a culture change and, and shift from what you were used to as a, as a young boy uh, moving to Leeds. Um, did it take you a while to, to adjust, to climatise to, to UK, UK life? Um, yeah, good question, because, you know, I think because the family was so big, you know, with those six kids and we were roughly the same age, it was a year or two between separating us all. So we had each other, but you did notice um, racism did come into it when you stepped out of that safety of the family. Um, and that was something that I had to deal with at an early age, especially when we moved down to um, a predominant, predominantly white neighborhood where I was the only black kid at our school at the time. Wow. Um, and even though I didn't kind of take much notice of it, you know, I, I kind of learned to deal with that really quickly. Um, there was racism, you know, and um, it was in the in a way where you didn't really have a say when it when it came to being able to avoid it because you were right in the middle of it. You were the only black kid there. They'd see things on TV, um, you know, and then they'd come back at you with things that they'd seen as youngsters do, you know, and the taunting and the, the name calling and things like that. But it, it was something that you had to deal with, and and I think. You just wouldn't get things that used to happen in those days. There, you just wouldn't get away with it to, today. So, yeah, um, there was a lot that I had to deal with. Yeah, you, you must have developed a, a thick skin. I can imagine, says growing up uh, back then, just sort of trying um, take take not let things affect affect you really. Yeah, I think you. That's when you need your parent. Good parenting is important in situations like that, and also. I, th I think the one thing that I realized as well that not everyone is racist. So you always had um, someone who would, like a white person who would stand up for you. Um, in, in my case, teachers and, and some close friends, you know, and, and I made sure I, I kind of stayed around those people. And, and, and one thing I think is important is that you don't accept it too much. <laughs> you know, some of it you can't avoid. And, but there are, there are times when you really have to stand up against it and say, look, enough's enough. This is what's happening. In my case, to the teacher that cared, you know, Mr. Freeman, I'll never forget him. Um, and, and he kind of sorted out one or two things for me. And then your parents, good parenting, you know, your parents were told you how to deal with certain situations. I mean, so you wouldn't be in fight, a fight every day because that I was in so many fights when at the age of 12 and, and, and 12 to 14 just because I retaliated and some of the time sometimes you don't need so you can deal with it in other ways so a number of things really but what it does Derek it it strengthens you yeah you know and it and it, and it, and it gives you um the ability to work to deal with situations like that so, so the football then says did you did you play for the school team or, or, or boys clubs back back in the day well, yeah, what happened was um, I used to play, again, We, our whole family are Christians. So we used to go to a church called St. Peter's. And that's where I started playing for the church team. You know, one of the guys there started a team and we um, we, we got together. Um, I used to just have a kick around at school and everything. And I really enjoyed it. I have to tell you this, though. Um, when I used to play in the schoolyard, again, I, I was the only black kid at the school. It was, and my school was a school called Matthew Murray in, in, in again, really close to Ellen's Road. Um, so football became part of my life. You know, you'd watch it on a Saturday with the boys. You'd go to the game, sneak in under the turnstile and everything like you do. Uh, and then you'd come back and you'd, you'd copy your favourite player. Um, 
for obvious reasons, my favourite player was a black guy from, and I think he was the only player, black player in the league at the time called Albert, Albert Johansson. Yeah. Um, so you'd go back in the school yard like you do and you pretend to be your, your hero, you know, mm-hmm. Albert Johansson and stuff like that. But also, you used to get kids who used to rile me when, you know, um, call me names and things. And what I realised was when I was playing football, um, I kind of learned how to deal with them guys on the on the field rather than have a fist fight. So you'd go, you learn how to go over the top. I'm sure you know what that means, yeah. you know, uh, and hurt people and 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 kind of make them look silly by not making them. And, and, and that's really how my football developed, believe it or not, you know, um, as a defence against racism in the school grounds. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, crazy it is. Um, you mentioned there Albert Johansson and going to Elland Road as, as, as a young boy, says, what, what was that like? What's, what's your memories of that? Because Leeds were uh, built quite a good side back then, didn't they? They did. I mean, that I mean that really, you know, inspired me to be a footballer, if I'm honest. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I used to spend more. I knew, I knew the whole Leeds team. Sprague, Reaney, Cooper, Bremner, Charlton, Hunter, Lorimer, Giles, Jones, Gray, Eddie Gray. What a player he was. Yeah. And then he had Albert, Albert Johansson, the only black player at the time in the league, uh, from what I remember. And it was like, um, it, it, was a, it, it was tradition. You know, every Saturday you wanted to be there. And my mates, we, we, we were from a, pair, uh, a poor background, really. We couldn't really afford to be going every every Saturday and pay the money. So what we used to do is just wait and hope that somebody's offered to pay us in or push us under the turnstile, you know. And those things happened. Um, and that's how my love for the game grew and developed. So Albert was awesome. You know, wasn't that he's one of the most skillful players that I'd ever seen, you know. Um, but he wasn't he wasn't this the toughest, you know, so um that was an area that I thought if he was if he was a bit tougher, he would have been world class. He would have been in the, the same mould as Pele. Wow, yeah. Yeah, you hear great stories, stories about him. I've, I've spoke to a few Leeds players back in the day and they speak very highly of him. Um, and he, he, like you, suffered a bit of abuse from the stands. It must have been hard. Um, uh, he is a player to, 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 to deal with that as well. Like you said, only black player in the league. It's, it's, it's hard to think about that now, isn't it? With, with what we Crazy. See. Unbelievable. You can imagine what he suffered and you know how he dealt with it. I mean, I remember when I ended up working at Ellen Road as the community officer and the under-16 um, coach. And I remember Albert coming to me just before he died. Um, I'd never seen him in, in the state that he was before that, that, um, that meeting. Uh, and I was in the office and he came in and he was asking for help. And he, you know, you could tell he was an alcoholic at that time, and you could tell he was really ill. And um, I think the, what I did, I, I went to the general secretary and explained that he needed assistance, and, um, you know, with with where he was living to be able to play, pay the rent and, and pay for uh, some doctor's bills and things like that. And the club helped him. I think the players there as well had something where they were able to help each other you know the 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 billy bremners and people like that and i know they helped out with that um and then a few a couple of months after he died so it's pretty sad stuff but um great player that that that, they're the memories i want to remember you know watching him play and how good he was on the ball yeah so the the bradford city move then how, how did all that come about yeah i mean again what happened was I was playing for, I remember playing for the 
the church youth team. And I was approached by a scout who said he was from Manchester United. And um, he gave me a form to fill out and I fill the form out and send it off. And you're now excited you get. And all, all your mates are saying, oh, and you, they're interested in you and everything. And you're waiting for a, a reply. But the form, what I remember now, because um, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that after this guy had made such a big ruckus about me coming for trials and everything, I never even heard back from them. And one of the, one of the guys that said, you, you don't think it's because you're black, because they don't have many black players playing, do they? I mean, man, you, that's one of the best teams in, in England, he would say. And I, and I just laughed it off. But it could have been that, you know, uh, when they looked at my resume, where are you from? And, and I put the Caribbean and things like that. So it could have been that. But then what confirmed it in my mind was when it happened again with Wolves um, and I was invited to a trial down there and I travelled all the way down to Wolverhampton in Birmingham. You know that the distance that is. Yeah. My dad went with me and I never even got on the field. You know, and um, I began to think, well, perhaps they don't think that we can, we're only good at cricket, not football. Mm -hmm. So it really, it really hit home then. and I was about to give up um, but I loved playing, I continued playing, and I ended up going to college, um, Bradford Art College. Yeah. And that's where I was spotted, really. I was playing in the in the, in the yard with, um, I was at um, the, the, the Bradford College of Art, and they had like an area where you could play, have a kickabout with your friends at, at um, lunchtime. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine called me Killingworth, and his dad was a scout at Valley Parade, Bradford City's ground. And he said, you know, you, you ought to be playing professional football the way you handle a ball. You know, and it's, I told him about the Man U thing and everything, and it really inspired him. He said, I'm going to get you a trial with Bradford. My dad will get you a trial. And if you if you are that good, he said, you'll get in that team. So um, that's what happened. He, he, he was true to his words. Um, I think what what happened, um, you know, was, was more the reason that I ended up at Bradford as well, because what happened when I went to the trial, the same thing again happened. They picked two teams and um, I wasn't selected. So I heard the, the first team manager, who was Jimmy Wheeler at the time, bless him, he's dead, he died, um, I think a couple of years ago, but he actually came to the, the trials and I heard him say, I'm, I'm looking for um, a right, uh, a left back. Um, any of you guys play left back? And I put my hand up straight away because I just wanted to get on the field. But really, I was a right winger. So, you know, I went on at left back. And I remember, even now, I remember loving it, you know, just yeah. trying to get play. I just wanted to play, you know. Um, didn't have any expectations at all. Being great. My dad was there, by the way, and uh, I could hear him shouting. He always supported me, you know. Um, and at half time, after about 20 minutes, Jimmy Wheeler came up to me and said, listen, I've got to go some, but I want you to come. I want you to join my youth team. Um, I think you've got a chance in the game. And that's how it started. You know, so they went to, uh, I, I used to, we used to train on the Tuesdays and the Thursday at, at Bradford, the youth teams. And I used to attend those sessions from Leeds to Bradford by train and stuff, you know. Um, and I remember you know um, the manager actually coming in and saying to me listen um i think we want to sign we want to give you a contract but um i need to discuss one or two things with your parents um but i'll come and i'll make an appointment and i'll come and see them and 
that about a week after that, that conversation with Jimmy, um, the car pulled up outside my dad's house. Now we lived on a terrace street, you know, you know those Coronation Street? Yeah. Um, yeah. We lived on one of those, right? So you can imagine <laughs> the boss is pulling up in his car, big Merc, and um, all my mates are coming, are running and seeing what's happening, you know. And, <laughs> And he comes in and knocks on the door, surrounded by about 100 kids. <laughs> and, they ask, and he comes in and he says to my dad, uh, goes through all this field, you know, we want to sign him and everything. Uh, and my dad says, okay, um, he says, let me have a word with, with this gentleman. And he told me to go out. So I went out and I think, you know, I'm coming back with a, a contract here. And walked in and my dad said, um, I've just explained to him. We, we, we appreciate his offer, but you've got to finish your schoolwork. <laughs> and that was it. I was thinking, oh man, you can imagine as a kid, I was 16 and he says, you've got to go to college, which had just started. Yeah. Um, he says, continue with that. And if you're that good, then they'll sign you after. And that's what happened. So I had to finish, <laughs> I had to go for another year as well and finish it, my diploma and get, I got that. And it was right though. After that, they came and they, they offered me a contract in 1970. I was 18, yeah. and that same year I made my first team debut against Sheffield against uh, Chesterfield. Um, so my dad was right, you know. Um, but and they did come back, but it was really down to Jimmy Wheeler who who saw the potential um, and gave me the opportunity. Yeah, fair, fair play to him. Uh, that that debut then against Chesterfield says, can, can you remember much about it? What how? How you felt before it? When did you know you were you were going to be playing? Oh, that is something, isn't it? For any young player who has never experienced that, it doesn't matter what level. Yeah. When somebody gives, when when the boss calls you into the office, and you think, well, I, I remember this, you know, Derry. Right? We played um, the juniors played against Newcastle the fall, the week before the boss called me in to tell me I was going to be playing, and I remember that. Um, I had this altercation with, with the right wing. I was playing right back, sorry, with the left wing. I was playing right back. And I, and I, don't, I can't remember what he said to me, but I really clattered him. He was, he was quite a big lad as well. And the referee's come over and, he, and, and he's waved a card at me. Um, and then for the, for the rest 20 minutes, all I could think about was getting my own back on this kid, right? how I was going to do it and everything. <laughs> and, the, and what happened was... The guy, I got got the opportunity, and he came at me, and I, and I absolutely flattened it. But it was a is a really good tackle, the timing and, and everything was perfect, you know. And the, um, I heard um, the coach say to me, "Hey, says, calm down, son, calm down. You're going to get yourself sent off." So anyway, the whistle goes, and and he calls me, and he goes, "I don't know what you were thinking there, but you've got to things like that. You cannot do. You've got to be mindful that." Does it, after after one booking, you could get sent off. That so I never thought anything else of it. So so on the Friday now, the following Friday, the boss calls me into his office, and I'm thinking, oh no, he's going to have a go at me for what happened at Newcastle. And he <laughs> says to me, he says, I think you can handle this situation. So the only thing that's held me back, I'm I wasn't sure that you're physically up to making your debut, but you are, and you, and I'm playing you on Saturday. I, well, you can imagine me. I'm walking out. I'm not gone in thinking I'm going to get a bollocking from the boss, right? And he tells me I'm making my first team debut. Uh, and that's what happened. Awesome, awesome feeling. 
Yeah, I can imagine it would be. Um, see the see the players that were there. Um, did they welcome you, Seth? Were they hard on you, or 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 did they help you integrate into the team? Oh yeah, absolutely. Again, um, the only black kid there was pretty spindly legged. You know, I was I wasn't a well built guy. You know, I was yeah. I was physical, but you know, I I needed looking after because some of the tackles and things I used to go into, you know, my timing was out and stuff. So they were really helpful in training, you know, and stuff like that. But so when I went made my debut, the, the captain was a guy called Tom Hallett, you know, um, a big Welshman. Um, and he took me under his wing. There was a, another guy called the goalkeeper, Pat Liney. Remember him? I remember sitting on the bus and, and Pat came and sat next to me and said, listen, son, he said, he said um, you're playing in front of me. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm the goalkeeper. Um, I've seen you play and I am so confident that we know, we're not going to get a shot. I'm not going to have to deal with any shooting from white positions today because with your pace and the way you play. And that's how he was talking to me. So at the time, I'm kind of listening, but I didn't realise the importance of the psychology that was involved in those, uh, in those discussions that we were having. Um, and it gave me so much confidence. Um, we, we had a, a young strike, a striker called um, Bobby Ham, who, who was a prolific goal scorer, Bruce Bannister. So I knew we had good, good players in the team who could finish as well. Um, and I just enjoyed it. I really enjoyed playing. Um, I knew I had to, I was told how we were going to play. They wanted me to get up the flanks, give balls, try and find Bobby or, or, or um, Banny. Banny. Um, and, and the boss was saying, if you can do that job for us, we, we, we win this game. You know, so straight away I was involved in, in the team talk and uh, I felt a part of it. And, and that continued until the end of my career at Bradford. I spent 14 years there. Um, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the record. I don't think anyone's played any more games than I have. I don't think. No, and I don't think they will do, Seth. I mean, it's, it's an incredible amount of games that you played there. Um, you, you mentioned there uh, Bruce Bannister. I interviewed him a, a few years ago as well. What a cracking guy he is. What um, oh. great, great finisher at the time as well, wasn't he? Oh, unbelievable. I mean, that, he's one of the, outside of, of your top, top players, he's one of the, the most intelligent footballers I've seen. You know, because football's not all about the, your technical ability. It's it's your psychology and, and, and your intelligence on, on the ball. And he was one of those, on and off the, off the ball. Some of his runs, you know, never heard of it before. It became a pro, like your curved runs uh, and, and your angled, angles that you, you receive the ball at and things like that. He was the best. I learned so much from him. Um, I, I just think he... he because he went on to play abroad as well, didn't he? You know, one of the few players from Bradford who went on to play, in, I think it was either France or Italy. Yeah, he went to um, France, yeah. France, was it? Yeah. But great. And he was a great businessman as well. You know, he yeah. had a, a sports shop in Bradford that did really well. I think it's still there. It is. That's so, great, great guy. Him, yeah. Yeah. He, he done well for himself. Um, Valley Parade, of course, it's it's much different now from, from when you played. Um, but what's, what's your memories? Did you enjoy playing there? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> it was, have you seen it now? I mean, it's like a premiership round, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Another um, week, yeah. But when I played there, it was before the fire, and um, it was very, very um, average. Yeah. You know, we were averaging something like five thousand a, a game, and which, which wasn't bad for for that for that league at the time and the standard of football. But um, when I when I look at it now, 
awesome. You know, it's a, it's a massive, or potentially it's a massive club. You know, they can, they, they will have to make many changes if they go back into the into the Premiership. Um, but in those days, Derek, it was um, it was just a really homely place to be. I loved football. Um, the supporters and the fans were great. You know, there wasn't much violence. Um, I never suffered any racist abuse from our fans. It was all supportive. Um, and that's that's why I stayed so long. You know, there were opportunities for me to leave, but some of them I toyed with, but really I was never going to leave there as long as I was enjoying my football. And I did for, for the time, the 14 years I spent there. Yeah, you enjoyed some promotions as well when you were there. Um, do those rank high in the memory, says the 76-77 season? I know you went up, up that year in 81-82, wasn't under Roy McFarlane, two, two good years for, for the club. Yeah, and, and again, Roy, one of the best managers we've play, I've played under. Um, and when I say that, I mean, he understood how to, to deal with players, you know, and, and that has a lot to do with whether or not you're successful. Yeah. Um, but Roy, you see, he played the game. Um, he, he was an intelligent um, coach. Um, he, he took into account, you know, especially at that level, I think it's so important that you considered the players that you had at the time and how you could best use them because you weren't able to spend the type of money they spend nowadays to get success. So you had to deal with what you had. Um, and I think he was good at that. Um, I always remember him saying to me, forget defending, get forward. And then your defense, because you, you were brought up as a defender and, and you're disciplined enough, I know that, that the, um, the defensive bit will come naturally. But what I want you to do is to get into wide positions and deliver balls for Bobby Campbell. Now, yeah. Bobby Campbell, I don't know if you know, but Bobby an, was an off, awesome, awesome striker. You know, um, played for Ireland. Um, but <laughs> what a character, you know. And he's one of those guys that, you know, if he's in the team, you, you always know what you have to do. All you need to do is to get the ball into the six-yard box. Uh, and we, we even then, we were working working on percentages. So, obviously, the more balls we could deliver, we knew if we delivered three balls in the box for Bobby, he was going to get a goal in one of those three. So, it's a case of how many times can you... And if half-time you come off and you haven't delivered... You've only delivered two. You know you're in for a rollicking. <laughs> But boss, I was only one off, but it's not three, is it, sir? <laughs> so that's how he used to speak to you. I loved him. I thought he was one of the best managers I've played under. Yeah. You mentioned there about Bobby Campbell. I had uh, John Hendry on a, a year or so ago, and he said, when you said about getting crosses in, he said he had them pinned up against the wall in the dressing room at half time one time because he was he was unhappy. Yeah. But he said he, he would he would stand up. He, 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 he's one of those guys you just love to have in your team because he'd... he'd He'd stand and have your back and what have you during the game as well. So it seems like a right big character to have. Oh yeah, awesome guy, you know. Um, and 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 I think his his character is what made Bradford City that in during that period of time what it was because the fans took to it. Yeah, he, he was like um, I I don't know. I remember him doing an interview once, and um, I, I'm thinking, I wonder what Bobby's going to say because they were interviewing. There's about three or four players. And they're asking them, oh, what was it like when you joined Bradford City? What are the memories you had and everything? And, and they were gradually getting to Bob. And I've got my hands over my eyes. I'm thinking, what is he going to say? <laughs> and they got to Bob and he says, and the, the commentator asked him, 
what, what's, what's the most memorable thing about joining Bradford City? And he said, um, the pub at the top of the road. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just wouldn't say that on TV, would you? Oh, dear. I loved him, though. He was a great player. What a finisher. You know, um, you know, people just have this knack of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. But not only that, but delivering the right technique to finish. Yeah. You know, that's something that you can't coach. I just think that comes naturally, and Bobby had that. Yeah. See, you mentioned Roy McFarland, um, Seth, of course, but when he managed to guide Bradford up, uh, he was then he then went to Derby. Were you sad to see him go at that point? Was that, was that a disappointment? Yeah, um, I think, obviously, because we'd done so well under him, and um, it, it was like losing a dad to some of, some of us because um, he was the one that got us promotion. Yeah. Uh, we expected to kick on from that. But you can't really blame him because it was his club, wasn't it? You know, when he got the opportunity to go back there, he, he grasped it with both hands. So when he left, it was it was a case of all the best um, and thanks for, for, for what you've done for us here at Bradford. Yeah. Trevor Cherry and, of course, Terry Yorov uh, come in for a bit. I mean, um, terrible to, to hear the news about, but Trevor last year, of course, taken too soon. What, what was your, your memories of, of those two? Again, I think I think both as as a pairing, they were, you know, they they, were, they did an awesome job, yeah. um, and you could tell it 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 wasn't it was like um, a bit like Brian Clough and and Gordon uh, is it Taylor? <laughs> Taylor yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it was a bit like that to be honest, and it, and and it was new to us because they were never they were inseparable, you know. Even when they, they turn up on the training ground together, uh, they. They'd be discussing what, how we're going to play together. You'd see them talking. We'll be running around the track, and you'll see them talking as though you know we've got a plan. Shall we tell them now, or which one of us should tell them? And and that's what they had going on. Um, and it was always going to be successful because it was. I mean, football for me is all about team. No one person can be successful at a club. And I think the more people you have, and the more ideas you have, and and the more banter you have going on. I think it's good and healthy. And I think they brought that to the club. Uh, it was like a, a new era, uh, a new mindset. Um, but it was exciting. I, I like the way they went about the business. And I think a lot of us learned a lot from it. Those who've gone into management since, like uh, Peter Jackson, people like that, learn, I think, from Trevor and, um, and, and, and Terry. I love Terry, by the way. Awesome guy, you know, down to earth. He played with one of the best clubs uh, and best best team, even though he wasn't always a regular in in the Leeds United team at the time. I just think he learned an awful lot from them and a great player as well. Don't underestimate how good he was when when he came to Bradford. Great player. Well, they had a number of young players at the early eighties. Stuart McCall was one of them, of course. Um, he'd go on and have a tremendous career, and, and also go into, into management. Says, can you remember much about him when he when he was coming through? Yeah, I mean, I remember Stuart. I, I remember Stuart taking my place at right back when I got injured. That was his first game, and 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 it was in the right back position. And I was watching him. And I'm thinking, I'd be lucky if I get back into this team. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, awesome, you know. Um, but he just. Yeah, Stuart, you know, you know, when you're looking at a player, you you want to you see all the basics. So it's not like he's flashy or anything. 
Yeah. But you just know that his first touch, you know that he, before he even receives the ball, he knows where it's going. You know that he can handle himself on the field. You know that he can play balls around the corner if he needs to. And all that within one game, I'm saying, this kid is, is awesome. You know, and it, it was, the thing is, he wasn't a tall guy, you know, but he was stocky and um, he could shield the ball. And in that league at the time, you needed to be able to do that. But on top of that, why you know that he's going to go further is because he had all the other stuff to go with that. So not only could he look after himself physically, but mentally he was able to, to you know, outwit anybody on the field. His, his passing was all awesome, you know, and I'm not, when I say passing, I, just, I don't just mean the accuracy, but the way of the pass and the timing of the pass and which pass to, you know, should, shall I curl, curl it round with my, inside of my foot or, you know, Stuart was... That was that was his gift. He was able to do all the basics and more. Great player. As soon as I saw him, I knew he was going to go further. Yeah, yeah he certainly was. And we, we touched on Albert Johansson earlier on about a stick he received from the stands. Was that something you um, got a bit off, Cess, when you travelled around the country? But with Bradford, that's something that you get a bit of abuse directed from, to you from, from the stands? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, not from our fans, obviously, but from, from away fans, yeah. I'm not going to name clubs, but there were so many of them at the time. Yeah. I think it, it, they'd never seen, most of them had never even seen a black player in, in life before playing, you know, against their club. So you can imagine um, the monkey chants and the bananas thrown, you know. I, I, it always makes me smile when I see the, the John Barnes one. Um, because that, that happened to me. I actually juggled the one that was thrown at me before I smashed it back into the stand with, with my right foot. Right? But, but when I see things like that, it's, it doesn't really surprise me. It surprises me that people are surprised by it, you know, because you can imagine, uh, Derek, in those days when you run onto the field and, no, you know, there's a group of, of people who are seeing a black player for the first time and any opportunity to... To be able to chant something, you know, collectively, um, if there's a racist element in the stand, then you can expect to be targeted, and that's what used to happen. Um, not all, I have to say, not not every club was like that, but um, very often you would hear, you know, the odd chant too. Yeah. Yeah. See, when that happened, I mean, was there was there avenues to to report it like we see today with regards to can you go to the club or? PFA or what have you, is that, that just not an option back, back then? You just had to suck it up? I think so. I think you had to, to a certain extent. I don't think there was the awareness because it was new. You know, the, yeah. my era was, it was the first time black players were now beginning to play in professional teams um, and travelling to the way ground. So it was new to everybody. What you needed and what I found at Bradford was you needed that support uh, and you needed people who you know, can help you deal and handle those situations. And fortunately for me, you know, the managers that I played under, it started with um, with um, with Jimmy Wheeler. Um, and then, you know, we, we had people like Bobby Kennedy, um, you know, and Brian Edwards. I don't know if you remember him. Brian Edwards was one of the, the best when it came to doing that. You know, he, he had a great sense of humour and he'd 
he called me in and he and he told me that he's bothered with these guys. So he said, if you weren't performing, they wouldn't even be calling you those names. Half of them don't even know about the Caribbean. You'd know more about England, you know, than they do about the Caribbean. And he talked to you like this, and you know, I said, all I want you to do, son, just to keep doing what you're doing. Forget that one. And then you know, you go out and he come. And sometimes I, I used to be just. Um, training nothing to do with anything that's happened on the Saturday but he'll just pull me to the side and he'll say to me you know um you know you you're when you look around the football league how many black players do you see and I, I said not many he says you're gonna see a lot more do you know why he said why he said um because of you and then he'd just walk away you know <laughs> and he used to talk to me like that <laughs> and it and it's building, you know, you're thinking that you're this special person because the boss thinks that people are going to come, other people like yourself, because of what you're doing. You know, so I used to love talking to him. Great bloke. Yeah. You mentioned um, so you had uh, offers to, to move away while you were at Bradford. Did, mm. did, what clubs, was there any clubs that, that, that sort of maybe persuaded you to move away or were you sort of that? No, I, no I mean, I... I there, there was um, all levels, to be honest, and there were only like the, um, things that I'd heard from the, the executives and, and the managers, you know, would you be interested? And, and, but I actually got a call from Portsmouth, you know, um, asking me if I was interested and, and stuff like that. And um, outside of that, I heard that Liverpool were interested um, from, the, from one of the chairmen or uh, the directors and they were watching um would i be would i be interested in going there as though you wouldn't but unfortunately to be honest I, I wouldn't to be you know i know it sounds crazy but it's exciting but the reality is even if it was liverpool would i move and at the time i'm i'm not sure i would have done yeah. you know I, I certainly didn't i could have gone to portsmouth i even talked terms but i didn't go because i looked at the map and i'm thinking <laughs> i'm getting i'm getting stick in sheffield Look how far Portsmouth is. <laughs> um, so it was one of them things you just, um, I don't know. It wasn't about status or what yeah. league it was. Or, you know, at the time it was, I was enjoying my football and that's what I was there for. I was never into the, you know, you're going to become wealthy or anything like that. Obviously you earned a decent living, but I don't know. It, it, it surpassed that, Derek. You know, the, the race thing, looking back had had to have a massive effect on anyone that was coming into the game in that era yeah of course you were rewarded with a, a testimonial in, in 1981 says who, who, who was that against that's a great question <laughs> <laughs> me, because listen they, they were saying to me you know when you have a testimonial you have to apply for it and everything and then you have to put a committee together yeah. And someone, they put a committee together and they said to me, listen, what you need to make money is you need to get a Man U, a Liverpool, they'll bring their supporters. That's what you. That's where you're going to make your money. But what happened before, Derek, was I had my niece over from, from the Caribbean. She stayed with us. She was only five and she stayed with us for a year because her mom was doing something and the mom was looking after her. And um, I used to, she used to love watching me play. And then there was a, another player, another black player that called Joe Cook who joined us. And, and she used to either be shouting my name or Joe's name, right? And it kind of made me think, 
the more black kids see black players, they can relate to them. So automatically they get more interested in, in either the club or the player. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I realized that we needed to show more black kids that there were there were more black players. So I said, I want an all black team. Oh. I want I'm looking at um, you know, I'm looking at uh, who I mean I had to uh, let me let me see now if I can um the test my testimonial George Berry, Bob Hazel, Brendan Batson, Terry Connell, Terry was at Leeds at the time, Garth Crooks, he was at Spurs, Vince Hilaire, Crystal Palace, Joe was at Bradford with me, um Justin Fashionu, you remember him? Yeah. Tony Cunningham, he was at Lincoln City, Luther Blissett of Wolf, oh. Watford. Trevor Quo, Ricky Hill, Luton, yeah. and the the Chamberlain brothers, whose sons now one of them's sons now playing at um, Liverpool. Yeah, right. So we got them guys together, and wow. um, and that was the reason behind it. I just wanted black people to see that. Look how many black players now are playing at a decent at every level. Yeah, um, and that's what we did. We came together. It was a great. I mean, the game, I, I can't remember much about the game. I can remember scoring a penalty and the goalkeeper diving over it. <laughs> I but it was after the game when we all met. We, a lot of us went back to my house, um, Garth, Crooks, you know, and um, and um, Terry. Terry Connor was a, a good friend at the time and stuff. He lived, we lived near each other. And we had a, there was about six or seven of us. And we had a really good chat about what had happened how we thought football was going to evolve, um, how black players needed to make a, a statement, um, yeah. you know, and, and it was just really nice. So, you know, that's one thing I always remember. I think if I want to be remembered for anything was, was that I was a part of something that helped to assist black players and, and be, have them be recognized as worthy uh, people to, become, to, to get contracts with clubs, you know. Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. And you mentioned some, I mean, some of the players you mentioned there were absolute stars. Did, did you ever come up against the likes of Laurie Cunningham or, or Justin Fashnew at all? Um, oh, I can't remember. I know, I came up against, I remember moving to Halifax when I finished, I was finishing yeah. my career and um, I'm going up against Garth. Mm. Um, and I, I kind of, I think I've still got a clip of this, you know, because I don't know how, what happened but he made a run in behind me and scored yeah and um and then he was celebrating and then he kind of on, on the way into the into the changing rooms he went he just went sorry and and then i looked at him and he looked back at me and he started laughing and i started laughing <laughs> um, but yeah we we kind of we kind of became quite good friends visited him a couple of times in in london and not just me and him, but I think black players in general seem to have a respect uh, and a friendship that perhaps, you know, doesn't happen outside of um, everyday life with other footballers, yeah. you know, because I think we realise that we have to support each other. Yeah. You mentioned your Halifax uh, says, of course, and you left the club and the club was in a bit of financial turmoil then, wasn't it? I know they called the receivers in, in 83. Was it a tough time as, as a player and were you disappointed to leave? Um, not really, because what had happened was, um, as you say, I think things were, were tough for the club. Um, I wasn't really enjoying it. Mm. Um, and, and 
I, to be honest, I, I think I was ready for retirement because I was I'd been offered a job at Leeds United, yeah. um, and I was doing the the under under sixteen boys, and I was the football in the community officer, which was a role that was that I'd got from through the, the football the um, professional footballers association. So so that was taking a lot of my time as well. But what what happened straight after that was more significant because I got a call. I went on holiday after I'd finished and I thought this was it. I've finished now. I'm just going to focus on my job and coaching and stuff. And then I went on holiday in Spain and I got a call at the hotel from my mom. And she said, there's a guy called Neil Warnock on the phone wants to talk to you. And, and I don't know if you've ever met Neil, yeah. but he's the most persuasive guy in the world. He just never takes no for an answer. So I'm never, now, remember, I've never met him. And he, and he, and he says to me, Seth, um, I've got this team. Um, I've put a team together at Scarborough, he said, and they're, they're all a bunch of misfits. And um, I want you to join. So I mean, that's not the most, you know, encouraging conversation you want to have. From. So he says, uh, he says, but this is why I want you to join. I need a fullback, a captain and a coach. He said, and you can do all three. She says, I've seen you play. I know exactly what you can do. And you are the, the missing link. He says, if you join me here, we will get promotion to the Football League. If we get promotion, we'll be making history. It's never been done before. We will be the, the first club to gain promotion on merit and not be voted in. We'll go down in history. And then it went quiet, didn't it? And he's waiting for my response. I didn't even know what to say. So I said, well, Neil, I, I've just retired. Forget retirement, says. This is important, right? <laughs> so, 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 I, so he goes, all right, tell you what, you're on holiday. I'm going to give you my address. Come and see me. Give me a call or I'll call you when you get back and um, come and have a chat face to face. He says, you can't let this opportunity go for both of us. So, so anyway, so... I'm thinking about it, but I'm thinking, well, I've really made mind of them. I've still got this job at Leeds and, you know. So anyway, I got back. As soon as I get into the house, the phone rings and it's Neil. So he goes, um, <laughs> so he says, come and see me. And he gives me his address. So I drew, he lived in Sheffield at the time. So when I arrived, I, I went, he lived in, he was, he had a, I don't know if you know this, but he was a shropodist. So he had this office and, he's, and he says, oh, come in, not on the door, come in walks upstairs and he goes, have a seat on my couch. So he sits me on this couch, you know, the dentist's couch where yeah. you sit and, so, and you know something's gonna happen. He goes, take your shoes and socks off. So I took them off. And he says, you've got ingrowing toenails, haven't you? So I said, yeah, do you know that? He says, I know these things, I know all about you. So he <laughs> <laughs> starts, starts peeling my ingrowing toenails out and he's talking, <laughs> talking terms and he's going, he's going, this is who I've got and he starts going through the list of players and some of them I'd known yeah. and Neil Thompson said he's great great so that's my other fullback and then he's going through the team he's got he's got and he says and I've got Evo but Evo's not really a coach he's, he's a good friend but you need to start coaching the team and anyway and then, and then he stops he goes stand up so I stood up he goes can you feel your ingrowing toenails I said no so he says, sign for me, and you'll never have ingrowing toenails again. <laughs> so, and that was it. So anyway, I, I signed, as you know, by now, um, I signed. And 
you know, we won promotion. It was unbelievable. I don't know how much you know about the Scarba team at the time, but we just, uh, we blasted everybody. And yeah. it's just a really good season that I had with them. Yeah. Um, we got promoted. I played in every game in that season. Um, I didn't, the, the coaching thing lasted about six weeks. I just couldn't do both because yeah. Neil doesn't do a lot of coaching. Yeah. Uh, his, his gift is man management. He's awesome and he understands the game, but he doesn't, like I'm sure even now, most of his coaches, you always see him take Blackie on, who's in the goals for us at the time. But Kevin Blackwell always travels with him. He was at Leeds with him. He took over from him at Leeds when, when Neil left. Yeah. But they, they work really well together because Blackie will do much of the coaching and Neil will do the management side. So I, I, I just love the way they go about business. Again, that team thing, isn't it? Where, where I just think you need more than any one person to, to be successful. It's funny you mentioned the man management. I had um, spoke to Ian Baird, who played under him at Plymouth a while ago. They they won, I think they won the playoffs or something under under Neil Warnock. And they said none of the players liked him, but they would run through brick walls for him on the park. He had that 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 thing about him. I guess he, he was like very much like that at Scarborough as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think, um, but I mean, he, he had a social side to him as well, you know, yeah. because even what. Well, Probably about two or three years ago, he organised. In fact, last year he tried to organise another one where all the players met and he paid for everything. Wow. So we all met at Scarborough. Um, and, and I think that we tried to do the same again last year, but we were all over the place. And then um, COVID hit. Yeah. So we, we couldn't do that. But no, Neil's something else. He really is. He's, he's unique. And that's why he's so successful. I think he's the most successful manager in terms of promotion in the history of football in England. So, you know, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and he's still, I mean, he's still going, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? It's, I mean, obviously, he just loves the game and it's it's great to see him still managing it at a very good level as well. It shows that you still you still got it. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to lose that. You know, some, that's something that he'll always have. And, I mean, the number of times, because now and again, I'll, he'll call me or, or I'll call him and he's all, I'm going to pack, that's it, my last year, I'm going to give <laughs> Packing in this year, <laughs> um, but next thing you know, he's got another job. So goodness knows how long he can go on. Yeah, uh, you played for uh, St Kitts as well, didn't you? During your your career, when, when was that? When did you go and represent them? <laughs> um, right. So this was in when I was at Leeds. I got offered the job as technical director, stroke coach. Right. And I remember going and um, and thinking, when I got there, for me, technical director is for someone who oversees the development of football, not just the national team. Yeah. What I found myself doing, it was really all about the national team. So I was doing more a coach, national team coach. Now, I'd never got a cap, but I'm in a position now where I could give myself a cap even though <laughs> I'd retired. <laughs> so... That's how that came about. So I put myself on the team sheet. <laughs> so when so if anybody asked me, okay, put your taps on the table, I, I can say, here you go. <laughs> and that's how it started. I can't even remember if I got on the field. I think probably I'd have brought myself on for probably about 10, 15 minutes. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was another great experience. Um, that's how I start international football. Um, as you know, it, it's it's the the ultimate, really, to, to represent the country that that you love and uh, and that you're from, and 
especially in my, in my case, which is where all my family are from. Yeah. Um, so that was great, great experience. Yeah, I had well, the reason I've got you now, Seth, is because I had Dean Wallen on a few weeks ago, and he mentioned you. He said when yeah. he got a call, he's, he went over and played. He says it was one of the, his greatest experiences going over there and, and playing for for St Kitts. So, um, certainly made 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 a big impression on him. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, Dean was. I think he was at Geisley or somewhere like that when I first saw him, and I just thought this kid can play. You know, yeah. um, I think there was him and Des Hazel. Um, yeah. And a couple of more that we brought over, um, and they did well. You know, we um, we we got quite far. We, we I remember, I don't know, I don't know if um, if they were playing when we played against. We brought Bradford City over when Brad, Bradford City had just got promoted yeah. to the Premiership, and um, I remember Taff, uh, Terry Yoris and Paul Jewell were the managers, and uh, I invited them over. To take part as a warm up for the to go, you know, for pre season, yeah. Um, to 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 St. Kitts, so they did pre season there. We had we invited Canada and Dominica to take part in an in a tournament, yeah. like a, a friendly between the, the whole group. And, and Bradford brought the, the team that was going to represent them in the champ in the premiership that year. It was great, great experience, and great for me because I was in the country that I was born in and that I love that I was working in. and you know, um, Bradford City, the team that I love, um, and and my mates and my mates were there. Taff was there, Paul Jewell and stuff. It was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah Dean said that, that when he was over there, he played against um, Brazil, how was it, Brazil under twenties or something, and, and Ronaldo was playing up against him. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, it's true. You know, but I mean, I don't have anything. Um, I remember the name, but yeah. I don't have anything to any documentation that says that. And I've heard a few people say that. I don't remember him because he didn't stand out because our kids were that good that day, right? <laughs> but, but I do remember someone saying, oh yeah, if you look back, he was actually in that team. Yeah. Um, but it shows how, how well our kids did, you know? Yeah. Um, I can't remember the result, but we didn't get trashed or anything. Yeah. But there's some quality over in the Caribbean, you know, Derek. That's, yeah. that's the one thing I'd like to see change. Um, for the kids here to be given the opportunity because we, you know, to get them out. Um, the paperwork doesn't allow at the, at the moment um, because of all the, the politics that goes on in the world, you know, but it's just, I think we must look at some way of being able to get our kids the opportunity to play at a higher level if they deserve to, in terms of the way that they perform themselves in, at international level. We've got an under 17 team here in St. Lucia who haven't lost a game in two years and they haven't drawn a game in two years. They've won them all. Wow. You know, we've got them in a school here now, um, in an academy. Uh, we were supposed to go to Latvia to take part in a tournament. We are invited by UEFA to, um, through FIFA to take part in this tournament. But because of COVID, we've missed that opportunity as well. Yeah. But yeah, and, and I just I just want to say to big up my, my uh, region, CONCACAF, because... We're beginning to really develop football here now. Yeah. Uh, yeah is, is, is it hard to, um, competing with, with cricket like um, like like when you were growing up, Seth? Is it is football getting more and more popular over there? Absolutely. Yeah, it's taken over from cricket and has been has done for a few years now. You know, um, I'm not sure that everyone will agree, but I but I know that it's um, it's by far the most popular sport in the Caribbean now. Football. Yeah. You know, and 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 it shows. The way that the, the the 
the, the CONCACAF region, um, you know, football in, in the world has really done, done exceptionally well. You know, when you remember, we've got teams like um, Mexico, um, um, Jamaica, um, US, Canada. Um, so we have to, and we have at every level, we have to compete with these, these countries. So it means that our football have to keep continuing to develop. And that's what we're trying to do, make sure that we're, you know, we put programs in place that, that can assist the, the young players to do that. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And there was, when I was doing some research for the program, is it right you've got a, a dance, a salsa company as well outside of the, outside of the game? <laughs> <laughs> you, you certainly have done your homework. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'll tell you, it's one of them areas, you know, that dancing. What, what used to happen is, um, I remember when I was taking under 16 and, and, and realised some of the kids, and, and, and I, I, have to, I have to say this, sorry if it's politically incorrect, but some of the white kids couldn't dance. Right? <laughs> and, um, and I was thinking, I mean, people like Smithy doing coordination work, Alan Smithy, he was at Leeds at the time, and, and Jonathan Woodgate and all them guys. And, that, yeah. and you look at the footwork, the turning and... and it wasn't that they were bad at it, but it was not, it just didn't look elegant. And I just really wanted something to, to help them with the coordination and the mobility. So I was watching a coaching video um, that the Brazilians were looking at, that, that were working from, and it was done to music. So I decided to go and learn how to, how to dance and develop the coordination based on dance. Um, and I went to a young lady called, Tanya Kusa, and she was, um, I think she was Colombian, and she showed, she showed me how to do the salsa stuff, and eventually I ended up getting that good at it that she, she asked me to help her do sessions and stuff, so I kind of just developed that, so yeah, we, and, and I met my partner who, she was really good at dancing as well, so we just decided to do something that we could both do together, and, and you know, it, it was a little business at the time, um, and we just taught people how to salsa and develop their dancing skills. Yeah. Fantastic, excellent stuff. And I was, you mentioned there that like Alan Smith, Jonathan Woodgate. See, when you when you were a coach back then, that some that was a right good time for Leeds United, wasn't it? Back then, I mean, they had some real good players coming through. They did. They did some good young players. Um, I I really don't know what happened. I, I still try and fathom out when David O'Leary came in, how they didn't continue the success that they went on and I think when you look back it was all that money they spent an awful lot of money trying to do win the European Cup didn't they yeah um, and I think that's where it all went wrong because once they they um, didn't get you know win it um, and they didn't get the money that they, that they thought they would get by winning it yeah they weren't able to recruit recuperate the money that they'd spent and it was downhill from there and they've never really recovered financially until now yeah so but we, you're right with the players that they had. I think if it, if it, it's, it's such a small margin, isn't it, Derek, between success and failure? It could have easily gone the other way for him, you know. And everyone now would be talking quite differently on on what a good job he'd done, and, and not, you know, how sad it was that the decline came under him. I felt really sorry for him because I thought David O'Leary was a really good manager. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Then did you? Did... Pay much attention now to Leeds United, Cess, and, and how they're getting on in the in the Premier League. Yeah, I do. I both Bradford City and Leeds United, yeah. and 
uh, let me talk about Bradford first because I just love the job them two youngsters have done yeah. now they've gone in. Um, you know, as you know, Stuart was managing before, um, and sometimes you just need a change, you know. Um, and again, the, the two that's gone in, they'll be looking at it completely differently to the way Stuart was looking at it. And I keep going back to this partnership rather than an individual. And you, and again, these two, there's a partnership going on between these two guys, and they play off each other, and the team have, have responded positively to it. So whatever they've introduced collectively, it's working, you know. And so I was so pleased to see that they've been given a contract yeah. um, because I think they deserve it. I just really want them to continue now and do well for the fans and, and the club. Yeah. And then when you look at Leeds, um, Bielsa is, is, is phenomenal. I love the way he plays. And, you know, I think what's happened, he's, he's brought back, you know, what we love about the game, it's about scoring goals. And people are now beginning to talk about that, which we, we'd stop talking about that, Derek, can't we? Yes. Yeah. The game is about scoring goals. That's why you go and watch football. And when you watch Leeds play, that's what I love watching about them. You just know there's going to be goals. Sometimes it's, it's in the wrong end, <laughs> but you just know there's going to be goals. And, and, and they, they, they're exciting. And you, you know who I really oh. love? In that Leeds United team, Ailing, Luke Ailing. I've I mean, I played fullback, and I know how how fit you have to be to cover the amount of ground, and and the determination he puts into his game and his work rate and his ability delivering the, the end product. Yeah. You know, awesome. For me, for, you know, he he's one of the the play. You know, if I was the person deciding who's going to be player of the year this year for Leeds United, it would easily be him and the season hasn't even finished yet. Yeah. I remember when they got him in, that he, Bristol City didn't want him anymore and he was they got him in for peanuts, Leeds United, but Bielsa's made him into him and others and he, and he really, really, he's really improved him, hasn't he? He's got their game on. But it just shows, doesn't it, how important managers are. You know, yeah. we, we, we blame them for everything. If, if the team's not winning, we blame them, we have a go at them, we should sack them and should... But, but you look at how important they are to individual players, you know, and uh, that's a great example you just used, Bielsa and and, uh, and Ailing. Yeah. yeah, great job he's done with them. Yeah, and finally, I was just going to touch on, you mentioned the two Bradford managers. I mean, even the CEOs, I think only 29 years of age. So yeah, it's great to see, very much like when they brought you in, Seth, that they're just sort of bucking this trend and giving a chance to, to, to someone like this just to change it up a little bit. Yeah. Typical Bradford, you know, that's all I can say. Typical Bradford. And I just love the, 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 um, the, the way they, they operate. Um, I love the fact that they give opportunities to people. I love the fact that, you know, um, it's a multicultural city, yeah. you know, um, and, and, you know, ev everyone's given the chance to, to, to get some kind of success. Uh, and, and every time I go back, you know, um, Derek, yeah. um, I, all, all I have to do is call and, and I'm accepted. Yeah, do you want a couple of tickets? Do you want to sit in the box? There's a guy called Steve Smith. Yeah. Um, all, he'll call me, you know, says that when he's coming back to the UK, <laughs> you need to come to a game. And I just love the club. I think, you know, awesome. That's what football's about, you know, family, community. Brilliant. No, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on, Sess. Um, I wouldn't hold you too much longer. It's been, it's been great having you on the podcast. So thank you. No problem, Derek. You're welcome.
That was episode 95 of the Talking Football Podcast with Cess Pod. As ever, I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to listen to any previous episodes, you can catch them all on the Talking Football website. It's just talkingfitball.co.uk. You'll also find a whole lot of great content and articles on there. If you're on Twitter, you can follow us at Talking underscore Football. We're on Facebook as well, and we're now also on YouTube. If you just search for Talking Football in the search function. If you want to sponsor the podcast, you can do just that. Just visit the Get Involved page on our website or email us at contact at DerekClarkSports.co.uk. Hope you can join me again next time and I'll be chatting to former Hamilton Ackies defender David Ellibert. But until then, keep safe and bye for now. Thank you.